0: Greetings and blessings, saints. Welcome to the Revelation Decoded Podcast. I'm your host and teacher, Gil Maza. We are going through an epic study through the book of Revelation, unlike any you might have heard before. Did the first century Christians understand the book of Revelation when it was first written by the Apostle John? You bet. They understood it and acted on it, and therefore they were spared the greatest tribulation that could ever come upon the Jewish people. And the cataclysmic end of the old covenant. Think you know the book of Revelation? Come and see. Here is how we can know that earth should be translated better as land in most of Revelation and in particular, meaning the land of Israel. Take another look at the beginning of the letter where John explains one of the main purposes of the judgment he was predicting. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail account of him. So, first of all, we would assume that tribes of the earth is refer- referring to everyone on the earth. I've already made that point. Jesus is coming to judge everyone on the earth, right? It sounds simple, it sounds right, but not so fast. The apostle John is actually quoting out of the book of the prophet Zechariah. Let's read Zechariah 12 10 through 14 Zechariah 12 10 through 14 now again remember it's just the the, like the second to the last book in the Old Testament if you've never read this before I warn you this is going to knock your socks off so hold on to your socks Zechariah 12 verses 10 through 14 says this I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look upon me whom they have pierced. The inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of David, they will look upon me who they have pierced. Who pierced them? The inhabitants, the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly for him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of uh, Hadadrim mom in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn. What land? The land of Israel. Every family itself, the family of who? The house of David by itself and the wives by themselves. The family of the house of Nathan by itself and the wife by themselves. The family of the house of Levi and their wives by themselves. The family of the the Shemites by themselves and their wife by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and wife by himself. So, <laughs> exactly who are the people that the prophet is speaking about? Zechariah sounds very specific here. When he speaks about who will mourn him when they see him. First it says, they will look upon him. Who? Those who pierced him. Well, this narrows down the possibilities of who the tribes will be. Also, where will the the mourning happen according to Zechariah? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, very specific. Who are all the tribes? All of humanity everywhere? No. The tribes that the prophecy speaks of are not the nations of the earth, but the tribes of the land. And who are the tribes of the land? The tribes of Israel. So a more accurate translation of Revelation 1-7 could read, Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the land of Israel will wail on account of him. Now that fits a whole lot better than before, doesn't it? And that decodes in a very strong, certain way. Not this abstract. I wonder who it could be. It has to be something in the future. No. The Word of God is way more technical, way more accurate, and way more focused than to just leave us hanging. Think about that for a moment. Every other prophecy in the Old Testament, we get the fulfillment for. We can point to the prophecies of Isaiah, the prophecies of Jeremiah when he was talking about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar to take away, the the, uh, destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem, take all the uh, Israelites captive. Daniel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all those, Ezra. We know where those prophecies took place and how they were fulfilled. The rest of the prophecies of Messiah all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But then God says, well, I'm going to have you write the book of Revelation and we're just going to kind of leave it up in the air so that every, you know, spiritual Tom, Dick and Harry can come along and interpret it their own way. And for thousands of years, we'll just keep getting it wrong till eventually, by accident, someone gets it right. By accident, someone will figure out the timing of the rapture, the timing of the seven-year tribulation, the timing of the building of the third temple, the timing of the abomination of desolation, the timing of the antichrist and the timing of the mark of the beast. I don't think so. I have way more faith in the scriptures than that. For (laughs) that God would leave us hanging, groping as it were in the darkness, just trying to figure out what the truth is and hoping for the best. No, 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 no. God has never done that once before. Why would he have started in a book like Revelation and just throw us all, all Christianity for 2,000 years, just throw us all for a loop? But now, think about this for a moment. I'm not saying I have all the answers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I know everything 100% clearly in the book of Revelation. No. But I tell you what, a lot, so much of it has been decoded for me now. That I rejoice at what I know about Revelation now and how it plays out. I am emboldened. I am strengthened. I'm encouraged. I can survive anything. Anything. Because Revelation teaches me how to live now, regardless of the circumstances. Because as of right now, the likelihood of me going to Jesus is greater than Him coming to me or Him coming to the earth. In the rapture, or in this the next appearance, or the third or fourth or seventh coming. I don't know how many there's about I don't know how many returns you can choose from. But looking at it this way, and when I read it now, and I can say to myself, the apostle John wrote a specific book for a specific group of people that they were blessed if they obeyed it then, right away, do what it says now. And then we can take the spiritual applications, and by the way, the last couple of chapters in Revelation do speak of the future and time of the world. But as we go through chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, all the way through to probably chapter 18, what we're looking at, the cataclysms, the, the bowls, the seals, the trumpets, all those things are what happens to Jerusalem and the Jewish people at the time. That's who this th- this is about. And so we'll get to see little by little how it all plays out, and how we can decode. And we will decode the seven seals, we will decode the seven trumpets, we will decode the seven bowls, and you're going to be marveled. You're, you thought you were amazed or shocked or odd at the book of Revelation, I guarantee you, you ain't seen nothing yet. So let's try to get the rest of this. I'm on the last page, I think. So that's good. That's a good sign. And maybe I can get you out of here at a decent time and we can close out this Bible study with the close of this Bible study for the rest of the season. Now, I don't know about you, but these passages now make more sense and are much simpler to read and understand for me. Now we can read the same passages in Revelation and plainly see that these verses speak in these particular instances about the land of Israel and not the entire earth or cosmos, right? Which does mean the universe or the world, the entire world, as John could have easily used other words in the Greek to communicate the idea that this was about the entire world or the entire universe, not just the land, not just the earthen land, the Jewish land, the land of the Israelites, the land of Israel. Okay, so let's look at them. Same verses in Revelation 6, 4 and 6, 8. The horsemen of the apocalypse take peace from the land of Israel and kill a fourth of the land of Israel. Okay, in a first wave. The seven trumpets of woe are blown over those who dwell on the land of Israel. Remember when we, we're going to read about how the four horsemen of the apocalypse are unleashed, okay? And the, and again, the scripture says they're going to ride over the earth. So we have this idea. I got this idea of there's the earth and there's these four giant horses just running across, just wreaking havoc on it. But that's not what the context of it is. We're going to find out as we read other scriptures in Ezekiel of exactly who the four horsemen are and that they're affecting the land on which God has called judgment on, and that's judgment on unbelieving, on those who did not accept the Old Covenant, the, the Old Testament Covenant. Now, the seven bowls of wrath are poured upon the land of Israel. We're going to see that happen. God avenges the blood of his martyrs by judging those who dwell in the land of Israel. Now remember, who does Jesus blame for the death of all the prophets from Abel in Genesis all the way through Zechariah the son of Berechiah he says upon you fall the blood the entire blood guilt right so it only this only makes sense the two witnesses called down plagues on the land of Israel just like the old testament prophets called the plague called their plagues and everything else all their judgments on the land of Israel back then The great harvest of wrath of judgment is upon the land of Israel. The great harlot, Mystery Babylon, is guilty of the land's abominations and the blood of all who were slain on the land of Israel. And I just made that point. Now, guess what? That recurring phrase in Revelation above, that is, those who dwell in the land, is a phrase that is used specifically of Israelites in the land of Israel throughout the Greek Old Testament. Okay, Jeremiah one let Let's go to Jeremiah one fourteen. Again, this is Jeremiah speaking. I'll start at verse 11 so that you can see the context. The word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. That's good to know. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, What do you see? And I said, "Behold, a boiling pot facing away from the north." Then the Lord said to me, "Out of the north the evil will break forth on all the inhabitants of the land, for I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north," declares the Lord, "and they will come and, s- and they will set each one at his. Um, I'm sorry, they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against its walls around the roundabout and against the cities of Judah." So uh, let's go on. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness. Thereby they have forsaken me and they have offered sacrifices to other gods and they worship the works of their own hands. So who is Jeremiah talking to here? The land of Israel. Let's go to Jeremiah ten eighteen. It says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I am slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time and will cause them distress that they may not be found. Who are the inhabitants of the land? Well, you, got, you don't really have to read too far to figure out it is Israel. Are they the inhabitants of the land? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 7. Ezekiel talks about the fact that the word of the Lord came to him, right? And let's go to verse 2 real quick. It says, and you, son of man, God says to Ezekiel, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel and end the end is coming on the four corners of the land not the earth the land okay and in verse this see I had chosen verse 7 it says your doom has come upon you o inhabitant of the land who are the inhabitants of the land the time has come the day is near tumult rather than joy shouting on the mountains I have Ezekiel thirty-six seventeen. Ezekiel 36 17. Do you notice a trend here? Some of you may be saying to yourself, you know, you you use like a million scriptures to prove one point. Do you need to do that? Is it necessary? We get it. We understand. Well, I kind of feel like I do. Why? Because I'm trying to show you that you can prove a point in the scriptures by a million other scriptures. The Bible confirms itself. The Bible... Is uh, if you want to know what something means, you can go back to the rest of the Bible and figure it out. And I just want to demonstrate to you. And maybe I'm being a little overzealous in this, but it's important because I'm I'm presenting to you a whole different view you've never heard before. I'm presenting to you something so different and something so anti anti what you've been taught before that I feel like I just need to show you just how many scriptures Confirm these points and why I have embraced this view so wholeheartedly because I can literally rely on a ton of scripture to prove my point as to where I believe that the view the futurist view This is my personal belief and opinion doesn't have that advantage doesn't have that option You can go to a few obscure verses. You know, when when I see studies on the Antichrist, they never use the scriptures that actually mention Antichrist, which are only a few in in, in 1 John and 3 John. But but people are trying to prove to me that the Antichrist exists with a million other scriptures that Antichrist isn't even mentioned. Oh, there's euphemisms and there are other names, and they, they take those names to mean the Antichrist. But when you go to the actual verses that actually mention him, you can't come away with that. It's impossible. So I know I'm a bit overzealous and I apologize for that. But um, bear with me because the reward is when you look at the scriptures and, and, and scripture confirms scripture. It, just, it has the blessing and the effect of building your faith, building that foundation in you putting your faith in this as opposed to what you see around you. You know, when, when your God is small and tiny and you're ignorant of his word, problems become humongous, overwhelming, overpowering. When your God is the God of the Bible, he is so big that your problems become that much smaller and I'll tell you what, when you're when these guys were reading Revelation, their problem was kind of huge, right? It was literally the destruction of everything they knew. But their God was so much bigger. And they believed Him. Look what happened. Because of, the, of their obedience and faith, you and I are sitting here today discussing and debating what was written back then in Revelation. So thanks to them. And I ask you, as I've asked you before, what are we doing right now in case the Lord should not return in another hundred years or another thousand years? Are they going to be able to say about us that we did that for them? That our faith was so strong and focused and firm on the foundation of the scripture that it was unshakable. That's what we got to think about. So where was I? Ezekiel thirty-six, seventeen. It says, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like uncleanliness of a woman in her impurity. That's going to answer a lot of questions in the future about Revelation when we talk about who the whore of Babylon is and uh, who that, uh, that harlot is riding on the beast. But I get ahead of myself. Let's go to Hosea 4.1. Hosea 4.1. It's right after the book of Daniel. And it's on page 770 in my Bible, if that helps you any. Hosea 4, verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Who is that? Israel. Because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Wow. You're telling the people of God that there's no knowledge of God in the land in there where they live incredible let's go to Joel it's right after Hosea Joel 1 uh, verse 2 hear this O elders and listen all inhabitants of the land has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days again who are these prophets talking to and i won't go through the rest of them I mean, i'll let you go through the rest of them if you find an inconsistency call me back now <clears throat> it says here that the blood guilt of the great harlot for all who have been slain in the land is the same blood guilt okay and that's i think it's zephaniah 118 but the blood kill the blood guilt of the great harlot is the same blood guilt Jesus proclaimed over the first century Jewish leaders who rejected him. Remember what he said, and I and I referenced this a while before, but it's worth reading here real quick so you can get a context of it. Matthew 23, 20, 35. He says, So that upon you, remember who he was talking to, the unbelieving Jewish leadership, the scribes, Sadducees, Pharisees, and those who did not believe in him, the, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, who he murdered between the temple and the altar. I say to you, these things shall come upon this generation. Okay. Those Jewish religious leaders were the great harlot with their spiritual adultery. Let's go back to Ezekiel 6, 9. Ezekiel 6, 9. When you read in Revelation about the great harlot, Committing adultery, the the great prostitute. Who is it talking about? Well, you can go to Revelation to Ezekiel and find out. Ezekiel 6, 9, it says. 6, 9. Making sure I'm there. Yes. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to whom which they will be carried captive. How I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts, which they turned away from me. And by their eyes, which played the harlot after their idols, and they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed for all their abominations. All those words describe the harlot mentioned in Revelation. And again, if Israel is God's bride, betrothed, right, then Israel is the only one, if it commits adultery, is the only one who commit adultery can commit adultery against against God. Okay, it wasn't the, all the Gentiles. It wasn't the whole world that was betrothed and married to God, so to speak, as a bride. It was Israel, and so the only one that can play the harlot against Israel is against God is Israel, not Rome, because Rome didn't have that covenant with God. Now, Isaiah one twenty-one, Isaiah one twenty-one. See what I'm doing on time here. Okay, I think I can finish. It says. How the faithful city has become a harlot. Do you know what the faithful city is? There's only one, Jerusalem. She who was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become like dross, your drink diluted by water. Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor the widow's plea comes before them. So they have gone wrong, right? Wrong. Spiritual adultery harlotry Uh, Hosea chapter 2 My gosh, I think I have the whole the whole chapter there. Let's see what it looks like Yeah, the whole thing the whole thing let me just look at some snippets it says Say to your brothers Amy and to your sister Roma contend with your mother contend for she's not my wife he's talking about israel now and i am not her husband let her put away her harlotry from her face her adultery from her breast, or i will strip her naked and expose her on the day when she was born i will also make her like a wilderness make her like a desert and uh, and slay her with thirst i will have no compassion on her children because they are children of harlotry for their mother has played the harlot She has conceived them and acted shamefully. She has said, I'll go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge her up with away with thorns and I will build a wall against her so she cannot find her path. She will pursue her lover. She will not overtake him. She will seek him but not find them. She will say, I'll go back to my husband for I was better for me than it is for me now. And it goes on and on. God speaking to Israel saying, I'm not your husband anymore and you're not my wife. You're committing adultery on me. You're doing all these horrific things. And that goes straight through to the book of Revelation. Everybody that denied Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and has gone to worship other idols and everything else, which they did do even in the temple, are committing spiritual prostitution, harlotry and um, on God. Right? On their their husband, so to speak, on their spiritual husband. And it goes on and on. Revelation's primary focus is about the fulfillment of the prophecies in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. And what is that? The point of it all is that it is a local judgment on the land of Israel, not on the entire, not the end of the entire global earth. Okay, the entire global earth. And let's find out why I have Matthew 24 sitting there. 24 verses 15 to 21. Okay, listen to this. You tell me if Jesus is talking about the entire earth or if he's talking about a specific group of people. How are we doing on time? Okay, it says... Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, what was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. How many, are you worship? are you uh, practicing the Sabbath? Anybody here practicing the Sabbath right now? Not really. Then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world till now or never will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then anyone who says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show you great signs and wonders, so that as to mislead if possible even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance." So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out, or behold he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so the coming of the Son of Man sh- uh, uh, is the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Ever wonder what that means? Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Well, that is a direct reference to the fact that the corpse of the old temple right, destroyed to the ground, not one stone left upon another, the vultures actually refers to eagles and the eagles that this refers to is the Roman eagle. They were going to place their Roman ensigns in the holy of holies and then they're going to burn and sacrifice sacrifices to Zeus. That for I'm throwing that in for free this time but don't think that you know it all yet cuz you still got to come to that lesson. But that is the abomination of desolation. When finally They're burning a sacrifice to a false god with Roman incense. And that's the vulture. That's the eagle. Because they were interchangeable in those days, those words. So that's what the abomination of desolation is. Not the earth, but Israel. Again, not to say Jesus is not coming at the end of history to judge the entire earth at the end of time. It's just to say that the book of Revelation is not primarily about that because we get to, just like every other book in the Bible, we get to see the fulfillment of most of Revelation in the AD 70 time and the rest of it does happen in the future, which I will clearly differentiate for you when it does come. All of us who have been predisposed to an end of the world interpretation of Revelation, all of our lives will have a difficult time envisioning a scenario that is completely at odds with the way we've been taught our entire Christian life but I believe that this perspective is the most honest and direct in its approach to the scriptures and even more honest and direct with the very words of our Lord so when you put all these pieces of the puzzle together it can only logically and in its plainest sense add up to one thing the theme of the book of Revelation is Israel's judgment for rejecting God's son through our Lord Jesus Christ okay so I'll open it up one final time for questions here
1: all participants are unmuted I' like
0: we lost a lot of um we lost a lot of participants there in that last uh, that last go-around is it was it something I said <laughs> so we Thoughts or comments? Uh, uh, yeah, I just... I really
1: was fascinated by the idea of the Roman eagle planted there. That's, that's kind of impressive.
0: Well, uh, read, when you read the words of Jesus carefully, and we're, we're going to do that study. Is this Brenda? Yep. Yeah, Brenda. When we get... To, well, you... I think... Um, I don't think we got there yet, did we? we? We went all the way up to the end of chapter 8. So we will break down and i mean it painfully right as painfully as this bible study was detail what the abomination of desolation means but in a nutshell it is literally that right by the time that the temple was destroyed there was nothing left in it the holy of holies there was no ark there was no lampstands there were no lavers none of that was left in there it was all it was completely furnished by babylonian artifacts So uh, I had made the point, I don't know if I made the point yet, but we're going to get into it deeply later on. The fact that the Sadducees and Pharisees themselves had secret chambers in their own homes where they were going home to worship false idols and gods. And they started doing that right in the temple itself, but it wasn't until the temple was destroyed. There's going to come a time in Revelation where we're going to see that the Holy Spirit just leaves and says, we're done here. There's nothing left. This is not my house anymore. I don't live here. I'm gone. Now, it has become a haunt for jackals, for demons, basically. And they're worshiping these out But when the Romans come in, destroy the temple, and then place their ensigns on there, which again, in some Bibles, it'll say vultures, and some it'll say eagles. But it is that Roman eagle that is placed there, a symbol of Rome's power and then they begin to sacrifice uh they sacri- make sacrifices for the Greek for the uh, their gods the Roman gods that is the abomination that makes desolate from that point on the temple is desolate that that is no longer to to come back again anybody else yo it's
1: fine yeah buddy? I, I was thinking about this I was thinking about this the other day because I have a cousin who's, you know, who's Christian, and she was posting on Facebook about how it's the end of the world and everything. And I was sitting there going, you know, even Christ said the Son of God doesn't know when He's coming again. If He doesn't know, why the heck do we think we could figure it out? And then when the the disciples pressed him, he's like, "Well, when you hear wars and rumors of wars and famine, and the, and and I'm sitting there going." But we always have that. His his point was, don't focus on when I'm coming in. You need to focus on the work at hand. Be caught doing the work. Don't be caught looking mm-hmm. in the sky looking for me. And it really made Revelation this version of Revelation hit home. Like we don't have to worry about this crap because it's always going to be with us. What we have to worry about is doing the work of the son of, of god and that's bringing those who are unsaved to him why are we focusing on woe is us you know this is the end of the world if it is great let's find that last person to take with us along the way you know and, and celebrate it yeah. not sit there and be afraid
0: but bonnie you know? it goes a step further than that and this is one thing that i think that that's where i believe it's one of the Biggest problems between this view and the and the uh, future dispensations view. So to the future dispensationalist again, you're working. Why would you improve a house that's that's going to be destroyed? Right. And yet the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus commands us to make the world a better place for our fellow man. So he literally is saying do the best you can to improve the lot of the person next to you. Your neighbor, who's your neighbor, that guy who needs you improve their lot and you know, make the world a better place, fight against evil, provide for the sick, provide for the needy, for the poor, for the hungry, for the thirsty, for the cold. And why would you care? You know, And, and many people that hold this view literally say, good, the, the worse the world gets, the better, because that means Jesus is coming and we're getting out of here. But the view that I believe is more biblical is the one that says, I'm going to try to make the world, or this person's world, a better place for them, and you know, pr- try to bring them to Christ because of that. You know, bring them in the process. Get involved in in politics. Get involved in education. Get involved in being a doctor and law enforcement, whatever it is. Be that be that king, citizen, kingdom, pushing back the forces of evil for a time and making the world a better place for your fellow man. That is the essence of the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't, not, Nowhere in the Sermon on the Mount or anywhere else does it say, Hey, you, bet, you best just, you know, batten down the hatches and wait for me to come back. There is no place in the scriptures. And the, and, and the, and the Christians, before the destruction of the temple, that's all they ever did. If you read through the epistles, they provided for people with fam- during famines, during wars. All those things Jesus said would happen, happened through the book of Acts, right? The false Christ. The earthquakes, the um, the uh, rumors of wars, you know, and again, like it, you said it perfectly. You said it's been happening the whole time. So then when was a time in history where all those things were happening in such a specific way that they would be significant in the prophecy of Jesus Christ? And that is in the generation between the time Jesus uh was crucified and rose from the dead to the time when the temple was destroyed and those things all those things happened specifically and it was such a shocker that there were rumors of wars in those days because rome had conquered the world so to hear of wars and rumors of wars in those days would have been like like are you kidding me there's no way but now it's ever since then there's been that going on the entire time like you well said
1: yeah exactly so that's why i'm sitting there going why are we living in this fear of and, and wanting and praying for for things to get worse we're not we're supposed to be doing the complete opposite
0: correct correct the breed
1: better and bring the kingdom to earth you know
0: Yes, you know, represent the, the kingdom of God on this earth, and like I said, no matter what is going, the situation, we we don't get a pass, and we don't get, we're still under complete obligation, complete command by the by our Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, to live yeah. as citizens of the kingdom in this world, regardless of the circumstances. Exactly. And, and the early church, the early Christians didn't get a pass because uh, Jerusalem was going to get destroyed. Right. In fact, if you read the letters of Revelation, he goes, "Hey, you, you keep obeying me. That's that's the plan. That's how you're going to persevere. You keep obeying me. Stay firm in the faith. Stay focused and firm in the faith. Because if you don't, you'll find yourself lost, like the red, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Anybody else before I close you in a word of prayer? Mm-hmm. All right, beloved. Well, um, before I close you, just let me say, have a blessed and merry christmas a beautiful holiday season help those in need around you help those that uh, that, that that need you the most do the best you can with that enjoy your families in the as safe and as and as healthy as you possibly can considering the circumstances and um i am grateful to god for you i'm thankful to god to get the opportunity to teach this bible study and uh pray for me for the 27th that i could bring a good message to everybody on that Sunday. And with that, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to you for your mercy and grace and love. I pray, Father, that you just help us to uh, maintain the, the spirit of Christmas. That is the Holy Spirit, right? That our savior was born and lived and crucified and died for our sins. That is the Christmas of the scriptures and that is the Christmas in our hearts. Let us keep it, Father, not just during Christmas or during the season, but all year round. And Father, help us to be that person, that spiritual, that citizen of the the kingdom that does everything you command us in the Sermon on the Mount, Father. Merciful, um, loving, uh, charitable. Help us to do all those things that represent you, Father. And uh, with that, uh, give everybody the hope of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you just uh, allow us to have a wonderful Christmas. Allow us to focus our hearts and minds on you. And keep everybody safe, healthy, and joyous throughout the whole season. Father, we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. This concludes lesson 10. Behold, he is coming in the clouds. Please return for our next lesson, which will be I, John, your fellow brother and partaker in the tribulation. Thank you so much, and God bless you, saints.